Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome to the Action Network Podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 6 College Football Betting Preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. We actually have a a fire weekend with uh, a lot of top 25 teams meeting and some some movement in the polls, and we're about to find out who some certain teams are. Are you excited for this weekend, buddy? Absolutely. It's like we talk ceiling and floor all through September. We're in October. We have not found the ceiling for Ohio State. Will Michigan State be able to answer that this week uh, see what they can do? Yeah, we will get to that game. Don't you worry. We'll cover Friday Night Lights. There's a game I'm really looking forward to in UCF Cincinnati. I think we disagree on it, so we can argue about that one. Uh, We'll obviously go through the whole Saturday slate. We'll also close with our underdog Moneyline Parlay. Hopefully we can hit both this week. We've hit one of two (laughs) (laughs) for five straight weeks. But let's start where we always do, and that's with uh, look ahead or look away. Hangovers, sleepers, and the dreaded sandwich spot. Is it time to look ahead or look away? For those not familiar, this is when we look at next week's games and try to determine if there's any situational edge or line value with a specific team. If they're you know, looking ahead or they come out flat, they might rest starters or pull starters or just go a little vanilla with a certain game, usually a big game on deck. Well, the biggest game next weekend is is the Red River Rivalry. Is that what we call it now? The Red River Rivalry? Can't say shootout. Can't say shootout. Yeah. So Texas and Oklahoma, 
will meet next week in obviously a huge game. But before that, they are playing two relatively easy games. They're double-digit favorites in each. Oklahoma is a 32-point favorite, open to 35, down to 32 against Kansas. West Virginia, excuse me, Texas has the tougher path uh, against West Virginia in Morgantown. They are a 10.5-point favorite. The thing that jumped right out at me is Texas's injury report. I mean, they were already thin at linebacker, so they've been playing all these defensive backs. And, you know, the, the, the eight, the, the cowboy formation with eight defensive backs. But, you know, then you look at Texas, they have starting corner Jalen Green's out. You know, obviously their safety, Caden Stern's out. Starting nickel, Josh Thompson's out. Foster and Overshone, they were already out. So, I mean, this mm-hmm. secondary is so thin. And, you know, obviously you have to look ahead potentially to – Um, Oklahoma next week. But the question for me, starting with this game, is, you know, can does West Virginia, who can't run the ball, they can't really throw the ball down the field. Do they have enough to actually, you know, stay in this game and or potentially pull the upset off? I know there was a tweet from somebody who, uh, you know, Sean at (laughs) SW Callaway said, I know CW is on Texas permafade, but need him to address the uh, this game, West Virginia, 113th explosive pass, and that's where Texas might be the most vulnerable, which we just covered with their secondary injuries, and 67th in explosive run. So is it all look ahead or is it something else? What are you seeing here? Yeah, I mean, the permafade, uh, that tweet, that was funny because it, it does seem like there hasn't been a time that I've, I've been behind uh, Texas. But you're right. I mean, the amount of injuries they have in the defense on the secondary, that plays a big part of it. Wide receiver Colin Johnson is out, too. I mean, that is that is Ellinger's go to guy. So you can expect a lot of third and eight and Ellinger picking up first downs on his own. Uh, but I mean, just injuries all over this Texas roster. I think they're maybe looking ahead to Oklahoma. It's a tough trip out to West Virginia. And you're right. West Virginia is gross. The defensive line has not been good. 121st in line yard, 130th in opportunity rate, 115th in stuff rate. Anything Ellinger wants on the ground, he's going to get it all day. Like any any two you know, any two yard run that they need or eight yard run or 12 yard run, they're going to get it on the ground. It's the passing game, uh, you know, where I don't know if they're going to be able to, to get down the field as much. The thing that made this for me uh, was the fact that tanks, Texas ranks tied for and last they're tied for last the longhorns are and giving up explosive plays on defense they just have a 49 percent success rate in passing defense that's last in the big 12 teams have been able to throw on them west virginia sneaky has been great against explosive plays they've allowed just two rushes over 20 yards they've allowed just eight passes over 20 yards they rank 10th and 12th respectively and they rank fourth against explosive passing in the big 12 so you can expect this maybe to be lower scoring or at least the margin to not get you know, too high. Uh, West Virginia's defense, it's like they're rushing two and dropping nine because they've been able to keep everything in front of them, kind of like North Carolina did against Clemson the other day. But nobody's been able to get anything deep on West Virginia. Uh, and, you know, if Texas takes the week off, especially on defense where all the injuries are, that becomes a very large number at home. I mean, I'm not going to get into the whole Herman as a favorite and everything, but I mean, there is definitely a look ahead. This is definitely a big number for Herman. And West Virginia has shown, at least in the success rate and in the explosive plays, that their defense can, can be up to the task. Now, Texas offensive line, this is going to come through next week. This is going to be a big deal. Texas offensive line is 20th in stuff rate, 25, 25th in line yards, third in the nation in first downs. They're second in the nation in third down conversion. So I'm not expecting any big gains from Texas through the air or on the ground. And I expect them to win this game. I just think it'll be close. This is overlook all the way. Take West Virginia and get the 11 points. Get the half if you can. 
Look, I think that you're sleeping a little bit on the Texas receivers. I mean, Duvernay, I don't think he's dropped a pass all year. He's got 39 catches for 377 yards. And Eagles is averaging, what, like 30 yards per catch? So, you know, they've been able to make up in the passing game for the loss of Colin Johnson. And if he comes back now, especially for the Oklahoma game, that wide receiving core is dynamic. I'm still looking at West Virginia. It's just a spot that I just, it's just that Texas screams they're going to come out flat. Morgantown mm-hmm. crowd will be up. I'm just trying to figure out how West Virginia is going to move the ball. The other team that I'm not really interested in, you know, you make this game 32, Oklahoma-Kansas, right where the line is right now. Kansas has been so hard to figure out this year. I still don't know how they got – I had them against TCU, how they got just absolutely demolished, demolished in every sense of the word against the TCU team that was missing all their receivers, third-string corner, and, you know, it's – puzzling and then they went up to you know they barely could score against coastal carolina but they went up to bc and beat them by 21 as a 21 point dog my thinking here is that oklahoma all they want to do is they want to get a big lead and i believe this happened last year when kansas put up 40 against them they scored a bunch of points late get a big lead they're going to sit everybody go vanilla so i might look you know and you can expect less miles to pull out all the stops for this game with some trick plays and and such but i might look at kansas second half i, I really have no interest yeah. in the game even though even though the spot is pretty good do you see anything here yeah, I mean that. I agree with that. I want you, everybody should be taking weather into note, especially here in the Midwest. Uh, games that are going to be in the state of Kansas, games that are going to be in Iowa, are going to have a heavy weather factor going on here. We've got a sixty percent chance of rain to start off the game, and I think that might be to the advantage of at least trying to slow down Oklahoma's explosive attack, which is just record setting once again. If you didn't think Baker Mayfield could do enough two years ago or Kyler Murray last year, so yeah, I make this game about where the number is. I actually favor Kansas in this game just a little bit because one area to watch Oklahoma is defending the explosive run. They rank second to last in the Big 12 so far and allowing explosive runs. Now that could be second half type stuff, you know, putting in backups. It could be that, but Kansas is fifth in the Big 12 in rush explosiveness. So they're not completely terrible. Uh, you know, in this spot, I kind of favor Kansas. I think the weather helps them keep the explosiveness down. You're right. They get a four score lead. Lincoln Riley's probably going to sit on everything and Kansas will be able to do something. All right, let's move on to Utah State LSU. LSU now up to a 28 point favorite. They have Florida on deck. The problem here is, you know, and they have some defensive injuries and I'm sure they want to get some rest. And, you know, I think that they just want to get a big, big lead and they're going to be able to do that. I mean, the problem with backing Utah State here, you know, they have a great quarterback who could play at the next level and the back door could obviously be open with him. But is they go so fast. They're, I think they're the fastest team in the country right now um, so far this season as far as plays per second. This team just flies. So if it's not going right in Death Valley, luckily it's not at night. You know, if it's not going right, they're just going to be punting it. And, you know, their possessions are going to take 30, 40 seconds. And then LSU's going to get the ball in that explosive offense, who's also really fast. I mean, there's a reason this total, what, is 73-ish? So I'm actually looking at LSU first half. I think they just want to bury Utah State and then rest. Uh, what are you seeing here? So I took 24 and a half on open, and I thought that was a good number considering that I had this number, you know, around 26, but I thought that the number would dip under uh, 24. It did. It actually went down to 23 and a half and has been nothing but LSU money since. And you're right. They are fast. LSU, 73 plays per game. They're trying to play as fast as possible. Utah State is 80 plays per game. One of the reasons I took 24 and a half is there was an unsubstantiated like rumor going on out there that Joe Burrow may sit. Uh, there was an injury report that came out. Uh, and I had to verify it with a friend of the podcast, Brody Miller. I hit him up to see if Joe Burrow, if something was going on. And and as to our knowledge, that Joe Burrow is definitely going to play this. He's in the Heisman race. He, you know, he's going to play this full speed. The coach on the football field, we're about to see what Joe Burrow's really made of. And anybody that knows our team, we're made of grit. 
And if you're putting out injury reports with information like Joe Burrow may sit, I won't name who you are, USA Today. But I mean that that you, you <laughs> I can't use you as a source anymore for uh, uh, stardom sitem. So uh, LSU, I think we need to pay attention in this game to their rushing yards. I mean, the rushing yards per attempt are 85th in the nation. Landard Fournette uh, has left the team. There's some freshmen running backs that are going to get the bulk of the carries. Uh, so I'm going to keep an eye specifically in this game in the Jefferson Pilot time slot, the 11 a.m. JP game of the week. Keep an eye on Joe Burrow because the big reason why they beat Texas is that he has been able to have uh, running backs, dump them off out in the flats, screens. Uh, it's just this whole element of the passing game has been able to gel because of the number of times that he's been able to hit the running backs out of the backfield. So if you mix in some inexperienced running backs in that, how does that work in pass blocking? How does that work in hitting them out in the flats? So that's what I'm going to have my eye on specifically in this game. LSU is tied for last in the SEC in explosive runs. That might be the reason that we're getting this change. We're going to get the running backs from the freshman involved. Uh, LSU's fifth in the SEC West and explosive passes allowed. So Utah State's going to be able to get theirs too. Both teams are going to be able to get points up on the board. I think the question is, is it going to come early or is it going to come late for a Utah State squad that's playing at 11 a.m. Central Time, which would be you know earlier clock for them? Yep. All right. Let's move on to Kent State, Wisconsin. Wisconsin has Michigan State on deck. They're coming off that lackluster win against Northwestern. This is another early kick. This line was, and I, I doubt you're going to see a uh, packed Camp Randall. This line opened around 36 and a half down to 35 now. Look, you know, Kent State's run defense, I thought it was going to be a lot worse than it has been. It has been great. They're, I think, 104th of the nation at 4.9 yards per carry. Uh, allowed, but they've played Auburn, Arizona State, and Auburn ripped them up, but they played pretty well against Arizona State, but they're just going to be undersized, right? They're going to be undersized on the offensive line and the defensive line. Taylor should have a huge day. Now, would it surprise me if Wisconsin won 52-3? to No. Um, you know, and Taylor could have a big day, but this Wisconsin team is dealing with a lot of injuries. They're not, they don't play fast. They're going to run it a ton, and Here's the key. You know, Kent State, I expect, will have some trickeration in, in their, you know, flash, fast flash offense. You know, and I think they can get to 14 or so. You know, but the key here is Kent State's code. And this is why I took 36. I make it just like you, right around 31, 32. So obviously mm-hmm. getting over 35 is big. But there's another angle here, and that's Sean Lewis, the Kent State head coach. Before he went, he used to play at Wisconsin. Before he went into coaching, you know who he called? He called for advice about his career? Paul Christ. They talked for a long time. They're close. Two Wisconsin guys. Chris was there when, you know, as a, I think a coordinator or a quarterback's coach when Sean Lewis was there. And they talked and they, they were really close and he's who got him into coaching. So the last, this is a Wisconsin guy, Sean Lewis. The, the last thing that Chris wants to do is run this thing up. Wisconsin has a bunch of injuries. I don't think they have any tight ends left. Um, they're going to run it, and they're going to run it well, and they're going to win easily. But I think o- over 35, I had to take the golden flashes because I think you just see Wisconsin really sit on it once they build a big lead. Yeah, and I actually agree with you. This is another game that's uh, got some weather forecasted, 40% of drizzle and rain. I make the game 31, so I agree with you. If you can get 35 and a half or better, I, I, I would not, you know, a 35 might be a push. So I definitely try to get the hook in there. Uh, but Wisconsin's defense has been fantastic so far. They've ranked number one in Havoc. Uh, you can check that out in the Action Network. They've been the best in the Big Ten West for run pass, uh, success rate, and opponent explosive plays. Uh, that's trouble for Kent's offensive line. Uh, so Wisconsin, I mean, there's no chance of this being kept super close. I think Wisconsin should have this in hand. 
Uh, but Kent's offensive line is outside the top 100, just almost every single category. Uh, so Wisconsin's front seven should have a field day with this. And Jack Cohn is the key. So I'll say this as we got to look ahead to Michigan State. The thing that makes me nervous to this point is the explosive plays on offense as far as the pass game goes. Cohn leads a Wisconsin offense that is just 26% and success rate in passing downs. And they're only 5% of those are explosive plays. Uh, that's one of the worst in the Big Ten. Uh, the actually absolute worst in passing explosive plays in the Big Ten right now is Northwestern. Uh, Wisconsin is second to last. So this is something to look, you know, see how Michigan State handles the Ohio State attack of Justin Fields and just keep in the back of your mind this weekend that Jack Cohn in Wisconsin is second to last in explosive passing plays. That's what I'm going to keep my eye on this weekend. All right, let's move on here to Notre Dame and Bowling Green. Notre Dame has USC on deck. They are a, what, 45-ish point favorite. Now, a lot of what you'll hear is Notre Dame doesn't cover, up to a 46-point favorite, doesn't cover as a big favorite. And there, there, I don't know what this means, but there is some truth to that. The narrative didn't just come out of thin air. You know, they, they're 28-41-3 since 2005 as a double-digit favorite. That's the second worst of all college football teams. The worst is Iowa, 23-37-1, and then Georgia. The question here is that how bad does Notre Dame want to win it? I cannot play Bowling Green. They just gave up, what, 52 to Kent State? This team is an abomination, and guess why? One of the reasons, one of the biggest jokes in all of college football, <laughs> Brian Van Gorder is the defensive coordinator there who was at yep. Notre Dame, and their defense just went to shit. So maybe Notre Dame just wants to put it on Van Gorder. I don't know. I can't play this game. It's 45. I mean, it shouldn't. Notre Dame could name it, but do they want to? When do they take out starters? Pass for me. Do you see anything here? Yeah, the Van Gorder thing is interesting because everywhere that he goes, the teams that he faces again want to beat the hell out of him. Uh, that's definitely an angle here. The number is just huge. I've got it at 44 and a half, so it's justified. Bowling Green's outside the top 100 in almost every single category. You're right. This is Notre Dame. Do they want to name it? Uh, Bowling Green just gave up 62 points to Kent State. Notre Dame could have a really bad day and still cover this number, but I'm not rushing to bet this whatsoever. Yep, I completely agree with you. And the last game that we have here um, on Look Ahead or Look Away is Penn State-Purdue. You know, Penn State has Iowa, Michigan, and Sparty on deck. So maybe they're concerned about health and not showing much. But, you know, this game opened at 16 and a half at Circa. I can't believe it. I wish yeah. I was there. Um, <laughs> but, we, you know, because we talked maybe, about this. Yeah, maybe the line should have been around. I thought the line was going to be around 17 if Purdue was fully healthy. Now, right. they're obviously not, and the good news is Purdue's Rondo Moore might not be out for the year, but he is out this this week. Their other wide receiver, Jared Sparks, still out. Sindelar, their quarterback, is hurt as well. Also, two of the best defenders, Marcus Bailey and Lorenzo Neal, are out. Bailey's out for the season. Neal continues to be out. Two of the running backs are out. They have no running game, no offensive line. I mean, it's a disaster. The only thing they had going for them was an explosive passing attack with Sindelar and Moore. Now they're both out. <sighs> Right, so right. this line's up to 29 now. Every time I turn around, it go it crosses another key number. Every time I take a 30-minute break from the computer, it crosses another key number. Yeah, so I but I, I can't play Purdue here. I can't I can't play Penn State now. 29. If Penn State wants to win 42-7, they will. Um, you know, Purdue could have some some fluke things go right, and uh, you know, Penn State could take their foot off the gas, but. Well, you know, Franklin's not known for doing that, but I, I can't get involved in this game. You see anything here? Uh, Purdue was only good at one thing. If you look at their numbers across the board, yards per play, points per drive, success rate on rushing, passing, explosive plays, the one thing they were good at is when they were successful in the passing game, 18% of them were explosive plays. They were fantastic. They're, they were top in the Big Ten in explosive plays from passing. And that's all Rondell Moore. That's all Sindelar. The two key players 
that account for all those numbers are gone. So while it should be 17 with Cindelar more in it, that we really can't say where this number should be. Should it be 28 or 29? We don't know. I did hit 21 and a half. And that's where I want to have a little bit of a rant. Circa opened up this game at 16 and a half. Most other operators in the world, I'm not going to name names or who it was. Most other operators hopped into the party way after Circa got steam. One operator opened at 21 and a half. And by the time it was everywhere you could get it across the United States, it was 24 and a half or larger. And it's steamed since then. But here's my rant. You know, first off, you want to tail people's picks that actually have skin in the game, that actually bet money. I'm, I'm, I, I'm just tired of hearing people having opinions that don't actually lay any money. But if you're going to tail someone's picks this week and they tell you that they have less than 21 and a half, you may want to question, seriously question the validity of that person. The only people that had access to the 16 and a half were the ones that were at the circuit desk or circle mobile app from 101 to 103 PM. That's how long that number was up by 106 PM. It was 19. It had moved that fast. And there are people out there I've seen, I've got, I've got Penn state 16 and a half. Really? That many people were in Las Vegas on the circuit app or at the circuit desk. So if you see anybody below 21 and a half, I would question the validity of that. So trust people that actually bet money. We'll get back to the game. FanDuel was 14 and a half in a look ahead line last week. So that tells you how far this thing has moved. Since the Cindelar Moore injury, this thing has doubled in the point spread. It's impossible to gauge where this number should be taking in the injuries. And this was the only weapon that they had. And the fact that Franklin's just in pure asshole mode of putting up as many points as possible and not caring about his relationships with his brotherhood of Big Ten coaches, I just don't see any way that you could hop on a Purdue and feel comfortable at any number. Completely agree with you. Um, by the way, quick plug. It, it, those against the spread stats want to pull up who's good as a favorite. All easy to look at on BetLabSports.com. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. Um, All right, let's go through rapid fire, conference by conference, a few games in each conference. We'll spend a little more time on the marquee games. It's another fabulous weekend of college football. Let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week six. Let's start in the AAC, Tulane Army. Tulane, they are my boys. Everyone knows that. I love this team. I love their receivers. Um, I love their defense. The Army actually has a pretty good secondary this year, at compare, especially compared to years past. It's one of their strengths of their team. And, you know, Riley at corner, McClinton at safety. Now, one of their senior safeties is out, but their offensive line is really banged up. And they have three freshmen that are in the rotation during practice. I think that's huge. Um, so Tulane is familiar with this option. You know, they face the option almost every year. They run a variation of it in years past. So I, I don't think they're going to be surprised by Army's rushing attack. I like Tulane here at three, anything three or under. Um, and then the other service academy game, Navy Air Force. The home team is actually dominated, dominated this series. Um, I actually like Air Force. I got them at minus two early. I like them under three. Over three gets a little iffy. One of the things to note here, I just think Air Force does everything Navy does better. Their offensive line, their defensive line is just better. Malcolm Perry should play, but Nelson Smith, their fullback, who makes that entire offense go, is questionable. He left last week's game with an injury, and Ken Niamatola, I probably butchered that, he has a policy of not saying anything about injuries, so he won't say anything. But if he's out, that offense becomes 
significantly worse. And so anything under three, I just think Air Force is better than Navy, even though the home team has dominated. They're two mirrors of each other. They both practice against the option. They both know the option well. But I'll take the offensive and defensive lines of Air Force. What are you seeing in either one of those games or both? Yeah, you and I are opposite on this. But I think with Navy, I'm going to wait and play it live just because of the injury factor and the fact that if you're going to pay extra juice on a three and a half, you could probably get it live at three and a half flat or maybe even a four. So I think these two games are going to be extremely close. Razor thin, the margins say that they will be by it. Both of them projected within a field goal. Uh, So three is key here. And if you're going to play the favorites, uh, playing it below three, is key here. Uh, as far as Tulane and Army go, you know, I know the injuries and the freshmen that are on the offensive line, uh, but Tulane just doesn't impress me from a defensive front. Uh, you know, they're 85th in line yards, 71st in opportunity rate, 86 and stuff. They're not getting in backfields and they're not stopping short runs. Uh, that's vital against Army. Army's rush defense has actually been much better than Tulane so far this season. 14th in power success, 24th in opportunity rate. They are stopping the, the short stuff. Army's 34th in allowed passing plays over 20 yards, which kind of, kind of impressed me. Uh, but that's going to be needed against Tulane because Tulane is explosive and they are going to be able to get the ball down the field. Uh, You know, Army's defense has allowed just two rushes this year, just two rushes to eclipse 20 yards. This will be a stiff test against Tulane because they can definitely have 20 yard breakoffs. Jeff Munkin and Willie Fritz, they're both their staffs know each other very well, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So I don't think either of them are going to be able to pull any tricks here. I actually like the over. I project this higher than the 43. Both teams are top 15 in red zone points per attempt. Specifically, both teams are top 10 in red zone TD score. I like both these teams to have touchdowns more than field goals when they get into red zone. That's why I like over 43. As far as Navy Air Force goes, like I said, I'm going to play this live. The Air Force blew out Navy 35-7 to at home last year. This is a different Navy defense. Uh, they showed it against uh, uh, Memphis. But Navy's defense is fourth in line yards, 17th in opportunity rate, and 118th in power success. That means they've stopped teams on the ground in every scenario except third and short and fourth and short. Uh, the total has been pounded south of 45. Any kind of defensive score or busted play could make this a 21-21 game and then you know it's going to go over. So I, I do kind of like the over a little bit, but really I'm playing this Navy live and I want to get at least, you know, three and a half, four. I want to make sure from the injury front, everybody's playing. And the last one we'll touch on in the AAC is SMU, the seeker. The best kept secret in college football. SMU has the seeker. They call me the seeker. Our boys at SMU there. Look, I, I, I did want to th- we I talk about their offense all the time with Bouchel, the Texas transfer at quarterback, Roberson and Prochet, a wide receiver. Uh, but I, I don't give enough love for their safeties. Patrick Nelson and Rodney Clemens are excellent. That defense is really underrated. They are undefeated against the spread. Interestingly enough, at this exact time last year, SMU was also undefeated against the spread. Them in Utah and the Bills and the Chiefs in the NFL. They were the only undefeated teams against the spread. Right now, there's four teams in college football that there's none in the NFL that are undefeated against the spread. Auburn, Louisiana Lafayette, our boys, Oklahoma State, and SMU. Teams that are winless against the spread. Akron, of course. Akron is the new UMass, is the new UConn. Um, Florida International. (laughs) Georgia Tech, Vanderbilt, and Virginia Tech. Uh, those are the winless against the spread teams. Just very quickly here, SMU, I mean, look, they're playing, they're minus 13 against Tulsa. I thought the line was a little inflated and was maybe going to look to fade SMU, but nope, no thanks. And one of the reasons, uh, I believe SMU's now favored. I mean, it ranked, right? SMU's ranked? Yeah, top, yep. Yep, so they're ranked for the first time, since I think since 1983. Um, I believe I saw that somewhere. But here's the thing. SMU, the place is going to be rocking. 
they have extra motivation for this game because last year in the season finale, Tulsa beat them 27-24 to keep them out of a bowl. So that, I think, is going to keep them focused here. Um, I won't lay it because there's just not that much value with SMU right now. Um, but that team is just rolling right now. Does SMU keep their streak alive or not? I mean, like we said on Sunday on, on the podcast before, I mean, this could be our New Year's Day uh, uh, group of five team. I love SMU here. Um, you know, there's been money on Tulsa. At this point, I have not been led to believe that it's real money. I've been led to believe that it's some setup money for an SMU comeback. Now, I made this SMU minus 11, but Tulsa is bad. They've won one game on the road their last 13 attempts under Montgomery. Tulsa's decent in pass defense. They rank top 15 and passes over 10 yards. They've allowed just 11 passes of 20 or more. But Tulsa offensively is 127th in yards per play. Uh, you know, they can't generate anything on the offensive side of the ball. Their defense is mid-pack with a schedule that really hasn't included anybody like SMU and definitely with the seeker and what their wide receivers have been able to do after the catch with Michelle back there, a quarterback. Tulsa's issues with penalties is just how could you ever back a team with Tulsa that ranks 130th in the nation in penalties per game? 95 yards per game. That's more than anybody else in the country. SMU's top 25 in sack rate. They should be all over Tulsa. I like SMU in this spot, and I have not been led to believe that the Tulsa money that's come in so far is real. I've been led to, I've been kind of told maybe it could be a setup. So by Saturday morning, when you and I are doing our show on the Action Network, you know, for our subscribers, we could be seeing a different SMU number by that time. Yep. 10.30 a.m. Eastern. Uh, we tweet out the link at Stucky2 and at uh, underscore Colin1, two L's in Colin. All right, let's move on to the ACC very quickly here. Not much of interest, but I did want to get your thoughts I know you like Pitt. They're sitting at plus five right now against Duke. Georgia Tech UNC was interesting to me. You know, UNC after that emotional letdown loss going for two against Clemson. Now they're going to Georgia Tech, who just scored two points last week. Georgia Tech is dead last in the nation in points per game, averaging 13 and a half points per game. The problem with Georgia Tech and now Graham, I think, is in there as quarterback. You know, they're. He, he he's going to throw it a lot more, and he's got a rocket arm. He's obviously got a long way to go. The problem with Georgia Tech is they're their top receiver is now out for the year. Their center, their tackle, their you know their offensive line now is a disaster. Now they can roll this kid out, have him throw, but I believe they're going to have a walk on play center, walk on freshman <laughs> this week. I know, I think UNC will come out flat. I just don't know if I have the balls to play Georgia Tech here, but it's a good spot. Anything in so you like you like you like Pitt? Anything in uh, Georgia Tech UNC? Yeah, I mean, I like Pitt. I took it at seven. I don't think it has as much value at five. Uh, I make this Duke minus one, so I still like Pitt on that side. Pitt will limit Quentin Harris in the passing game. Uh, you know, Quentin Harris has been 11th in the nation in completion percentage, and Pitt's going to make that tough. Duke's been first in the nation at sacks given up on the offensive line. Pitt has been second in sacks thus far on defense. So that is definitely the the matchup to watch, see if Pitt can get pressure on Quentin Harris. Uh, so I, I like definitely like Pitt to keep it close here. There's only one play to weigh UNC. There's only one way to play them, and that is in the second half. So Georgia Tech, I would think, would be max effort here. I'm not really sure how much of a game plan, injury-wise, or just not able to execute. Yeah, I mean, everything's in transition with Georgia Tech right now. It's just impossible to lay money with them, even at 10.5, uh, you know, with an inflated spread. It's just their numbers are horrid. It's scary. Uh, I think the only way to play this is 
is North Carolina comes out flat in the first half after coming within a two-point conversion of beating uh, a team that should be in the college football playoff. Uh, Georgia Tech should be motivated after just a safety. Uh, I think Sam Howell in the second half, again, for a sixth game, UNC second half is is, is always going to be a play until we prove, get proven otherwise. Yeah, maybe to look Georgia Tech first half, uh, UNC is dealing with a number of injuries as well. All right, let's move on mm-hmm. to the Big 12, which... You know, has a, a number of coin flip games, you know, essentially right around field goal or less. And the, the two most intriguing games with TCU Iowa State and Baylor Kansas State. We already talked about Texas, West Virginia and Oklahoma, Kansas. Um, I'll just mention real quick. I'm on Texas Tech plus 10. I think this number is just too high for an Oak State team that, you know, they were minus just 14 point favorites at Tulsa in a game. They had no business covering zero, none. They were trailing in the second half. Um, you know, Jet Duffy's going to get the start from the get go, not the rice transfer who looked off. I don't know what Texas Tech was doing. Oklahoma State still has some issues in the red zone. Uh, I think they come out flat here in Lubbock. I think this is a good spot to get Texas Tech after getting drummed by Oklahoma. The other game that I want to mention is Iowa State. I'm looking at the clones. They've They've lost two games by three total points to good teams, to Baylor and Iowa. And they should have beat Iowa. They were a field goal miss away from beating Baylor. And this is Brocktober, everybody. If you don't know what Brocktober is, Brock Purdy in October. And Matt Campbell, he's 7-0 and in October the last two seasons. And Iowa State has done this the last two seasons. They started 2-2 two and two in 2017, 1-3 last year. And now two and two this year, and then they get on a roll. They're slow starters for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, I think this line is cheap for Iowa State, especially if you can get a three based on what we've seen recently. But TCU is just so hard to figure out for me. Um, so uh-huh. what, what, do you, what do you see in any of these big 12 games, Baylor, Kansas State included? There could be weather there in uh, Manhattan. Yeah, and yeah. So I think one of the ones that I like the best out of this is probably Iowa State. Again, we've got weather in this. We got light rain. Uh, we have a fifty percent chance of showers and winds over fifteen miles an hour. But you're right, uh, Brock Purdy. It's that time of year, and then it, it just shows in the explosive stats here with these two teams. Iowa State, from an offensive standpoint, thirteen percent of their successful plays through the air have been explosive. Uh, that's one of the best marks in the Big Twelve. Second only behind Oklahoma. Actually, better than Texas and actually better than Baylor at this point. And that's going to be something you know not good for TCU to try to catch up with. Their defense has been second worst in fending explosive plays. You know They're below average in passing downs. Uh, their success rate just isn't there. And TCU has not been good against the long pass. Iowa State has been so far offensively, and I think Purdy's going to be able to take advantage. Uh, Iowa State's my favorite out of the bunch. Oklahoma State, like we've said, going along with the, with the explosiveness, they are the second best uh, uh, run explosiveness team with Chuba Hubbard. That's going to be a problem for Texas Tech, who's, who's not had much success against a rushing game like Chuba Hubbard in Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State's going to be able to sling the ball. Not really sure where Texas Tech is defensively. Baylor and Kansas State, I think, is actually going to be pretty even. Baylor is only explosive on passing plays, and and Kansas State's been able to defend that. Uh, Kansas State is the worst, I think, in the nation. I have to look this up. They're definitely worse in the Big 12. Worst in the nation at stopping explosive runs. Anybody with a running back that can get to them uh, is going to be big trouble for Kansas State. I think that game is more evenly matched. I would actually kind of lean to Kansas State there. Weird things happen in Manhattan when there's weather going on. Um, All right, let's move on to the Big Ten. Uh, We have some uh, really interesting games. We'll start with Michigan State, Ohio State. Look, I feel like a broken record. I am playing Michigan State because of the number. I'm petrified of (laughs) Ohio State. Uh, I mean, I make it under 17, so of course I'm going to take 20. And if it gets to 21, I'll take 21. Uh, This is the best defense Ohio State will face. 
all year. The best you know run defense in the country the last two years. They should be able to at least contain Dobbins better than any team in the country can. And I also played the under, under 49. Look, it's scary. Maybe we have to adjust Ohio State again. And they're this just this good. But I think Michigan State has to just they're gonna take they're gonna play so slow. They're gonna rely on that defense. Also, Ohio State is a great punter. So the uh, Michigan State offense is gonna have to go even further if they make Ohio State punt. And the, the scariest thing about Michigan State is their offensive line. It's a disaster with all the injuries. Uh-huh. I believe right now as of right now, they have a fourth string true freshman left tackle is gonna start against Chase Young. Scary. But I'm playing the number here. I think Michigan State's defense will show up. You know, this a bad, bad Michigan State team almost beat Ohio State uh, at the shoe, I believe, two years ago. Uh, but I, I really do like the under. I think Michigan State's going to take the air out of the ball. Defense shows up, and uh, they're going to have trouble moving it. The Ohio State defense is legit. What do you see here? You know, this is the best Havoc matchup of the weekend. Uh, as far as the line goes, I'm waiting for 21. I, I agree with you that it's it's a little bit too many points. Uh, it's projected closer to the number, but I mean, this is getting outrageous for Ohio State. We got to get some resistance at some point. This is a tougher matchup for Ohio State than Nebraska ever was. This is the best Havoc matchup of the weekend. Ohio State second in the country, led by 52 tackles for loss. Michigan State, despite injury on the offensive line, they're eight and havoc allowed. They have not really, you know, only five fumbles. They've only had one INT so far. Uh, you know, Lewerke and Sparty is 11th in the nation and passes over 20 plus yards. Uh, Lewerke has been able to get it down the field. Now, you know, there's some pretty ugly numbers when you get deep into the advanced stats for Michigan State, but Lewerke has been able to get it deep. He has been protected by the offensive line. They haven't fumbled it and they're not throwing interceptions. They're not beating themselves. Spartans are 13th in havoc on defense. Pretty light schedule so far, so we don't know how real that is. Uh, Michigan State's top five defensively in line yards, opportunity rate, sack rate. But again, when you take it on Arizona State's offense, you don't really want to put too much stock into those numbers. Uh, I want Michigan State plus 21. Uh, it's going to be a live play if I don't get it. Uh, the total, I think, is going to go over because I think Lewerke in standard downs or in early downs will have success throwing it deep. So I like the over pregame, and I'm waiting on 21. I might play it live on Sparty. All right, uh, moving on to Michigan, Iowa. I was getting a little healthier here. They should get Larry Jackson back a tackle, uh, and that makes their already good offensive line just dominant. Uh, their secondary is still not all the way healthy, but they should get Merriweather and Brents back. That'll enable them to run more of their 4-2-5, which they want to do. But this defense just doesn't create that much havoc, which I think is a good thing for Michigan, which, who's you know really been just throwing the ball away and dropping the ball. And I was thinking this might be a good time to buy low on the Wolverines. If I get three, I certainly will. I think what was this look ahead line? 14, 13? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Before the year started. I mean, Michigan is getting that. I mean, their, their middle linebacker is out, Josh Ross, which doesn't help. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball, but I think they might have some success through the air. They can build on that Rutgers game. The Michigan defensive line, they got one four back. They're playing some of their younger guys that I think are better. Don't gamble. Don't associate with gamblers. Avoid it like the, the plague. Let's check in with Bodog Jim. And Harbaugh, this is just a game. Harbaugh wins. It's not a top 10 team, you know, but a ranked team. I think Har- Michigan is 6-0 and against teams ranked 14 through 25. They've outscored them 206-51 to uh, against Harbaugh. Harbaugh is 27-0 and at the big house against teams not named Michigan State or Ohio State. Um, so I think if this gets the three, I'm going to take Michigan. Um, I don't love it, but if they don't win this game, they might have to blow this up. What do you see here? 
This is a play at three on Michigan. I, I will be looking for that. If I don't get it uh, pregame, uh, you know, you'll consider buying it to minus 120 on the three if you can find it. If not, maybe play it live. This Neither of these teams are havoc-minded whatsoever. Uh, you know, there's zero penetration from the Hawkeyes' defense. They're 105th in havoc, 118th in power success. They're just not getting into the backfield of anybody, which makes you think Shea Patterson should probably have a pretty clean game. Michigan, on the other hand, 124th in the nation in havoc, nine passes defensed. Uh, they're not going to cause any turnovers whatsoever. And Iowa's offense is first in the nation in havoc allowed. So they don't really beat themselves either. They don't allow anybody in the backfield. The offensive line has done a great job. Both of these teams are going to be able to dictate their own pace on offense and they're going to be able to do what they want to do. You think about that from an Iowa perspective, long drives, grinding, first downs, no explosive plays whatsoever. Now, Michigan, maybe it took a month to get in sync. Maybe we needed Donovan Peoples-Jones to get healthy. Maybe Patterson is finally comfortable and has enough reps. I like Michigan in this spot with the three. I think that they're going to be the more explosive offense. The passes that have been graded successful against Iowa's defense, 12% have been explosive plays in the passing game. That ranks third worst in the Big Ten at this time. I think Michigan's going to have their way. I like the three. I like the over in this game because I don't think there's going to be any havoc. Uh, And I'll play the three live if I don't get it before uh, pregame. Northwestern. Nebraska, they're, I believe, like 11th in defense and like 123rd in offense. The largest gap between your offensive defense since 2015 Northwestern. And we always talk about Northwestern voodoo. Northwestern Nebraska, this series has been the definition, the definition of voodoo. The road team has won six of the eight since uh, Nebraska joined the Big Ten back in 2011. One of those was a Hail Mary. The last two games have gone to OT, just a complete voodoo series. You like the under there? Yeah, I do. I, I had this. Uh, we had the Action Network projected totals come out uh, at 48. Uh, I was happy to take it with some weather in the forecast in this game. We uh, Nebraska is going to be right in the heart of this storm that's that's uh, coming through. It looks like the forecast has really kind of died off, but there is still some wind involved. Uh, these two teams havoc allowed on the offensive line, 115th and 124th. Uh, Adrian Martinez is a walking turnover. Northwestern hasn't been much better. So for me, this is an underplay all the way. Um, some of those uh, more sharp shops are down to 48 and a half. I think this will keep Keep chugging down uh, down lower. All right, um, let's move on. And just 30 seconds or less, we have to mention Conference USA. I'm just going to ask two questions. The first one, meep, meep. we have to mention meet me. We have to mention UTSA against our UTEP boys. Oh man, what an ugly game. We're talking minor nation. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, picks up. Uh, are you betting this game or lie to me? Uh, no, I am betting this game. UTSA Meet Meep is absolutely going to be in my round robin parlays as a dog. All right. And then the other one, are we fading UMass with FIU laying 26, 27? FIU's yet to cover. I am very close to pulling the trigger. Uh, the number is a couple points too high, but FIU is the only way that I'm going to play this game. I, I, I think you may, I think that was a joke last week. That was a come together game on the road here. Sure. Take this shit show on the road. Sure. I'll take All FIU. Right, um, all right, so let's move on to the MAC. Uh, I will say that one one game that I I put in the app already, a couple actually, uh, Ball State NIU. I played Ball State first half plus three. Something to note here: Northern Illinois going into the year, the linebacker is supposed to be their strength, right? And Kyle Pugh was their best, and Lance DeVoe Jr. and Antonio Jones Davis. But now they lost two of them, and then they were down to Cole, who was playing you know really well, Jordan Cole, but he got a targeting suspension in against Vanderbilt. He's out the first half. I forget mm-hmm. the kid's name. It's some true freshman. I think he's a walk-on. We'll start at line. Their linebacking core is decimated, decimated for this first half. 
I played Ball State first half. And then the other game I played, I played Ohio minus three against Buffalo. Buffalo's their quarterback is questionable. The quarterback's awful regardless. And their their backup <laughs> quarterback, who's who's also the punter, Van Trees, he might start. Um, they're going to try to run the ball. Could have some success against Ohio's run defense, which does give me a little concern. But this is what we said all offseason. I'm not going to change now about Ohio. They're going to struggle non-con. They're going to get it together at their revenge tour. You know, they lost a number of games last year they should have won, including Buffalo. Um, I, I think they show their class here. They're going to win that division. They get this win against Buffalo after a bye. Um, and then Western Michigan to Toledo, I'm curious to get your thoughts on because I think this game shatters, number one. I don't trust Toledo's defense at all. And I actually like what I've seen from Western Michigan. Very one of Probably the most experienced team in the country. I think Western Michigan gets this win here. Do you see anything in those Mac games that you want to mention? Yeah, the Western Michigan, you're right. I mean, they can, uh, John Wasink, when he was healthy last year, he did this before he got hurt at the end of the season. Uh, but they are in a very explosive offense, especially from the passing angle. Uh, and they should be able to put it up on Toledo's defense. I mean, they put it up on Central Michigan last week. The defense just got sloppy in the fourth quarter and allowed a whole bunch of Central Michigan 15 points there at the end to not get us to cover by one point. But make no mistake, both these teams are going to be able to get points up on the board. Uh, so I think the over there is good. I think Western Michigan is good as long as we don't get backdoored again. Uh, they're a play on team. I think you're right about the injury with NIU. Uh, something is going on with Ball State. There has been sharp money on Ball State every week and the point spread has moved towards them and away from their opponent every week. So, uh, And I still don't see it in the numbers as to why Ball State has been a play on team. Uh, they're coming off of a bye here. I uh, got suspensions on Northern Illinois side, so I think Stuck is exactly right by having a first half uh, number here. Ohio-Buffalo, this is another game I think goes over. I have projected at 48, uh, but I just don't see defensively how either one stops what the other one wants to do. I think Rourke will have a big day. I think the Ohio rush will have a big day. I think Buffalo is going to be able to put up enough to get over this over number. Yeah, I would tend to agree there, even though you have two teams that are just going to be extremely run heavy. Um, all right, let's mm-hmm. move on to the Mountain West Conference. You know, there's San Diego State, Colorado State. We'll talk about that Saturday. Boise, UNLV. Oh, my God, who cares? Uh, New Mexico, San Jose <laughs> State, you'll have a uh, preview out. We'll have a preview out for Friday night. So, not much going on in the Mountain West that we haven't already talked about this week. Um, all right, so let's move on to the Pac-12, and let's talk Cal, Oregon. By the way, the Stanford injuries, I can't even keep track of them anymore. And Costello's out now. They're all offensive line. It's crazy. Um, that line's Washington's 16-point favorite Stanford. Crazy to see. Same with Colorado. A lot of injuries on both sides here. Um, and then on yeah. Arizona, you have their their running back, and, and then also Khalil Tate's questionable. I think the altitude could be a factor, especially since it's been cold uh, it's been damp there, so it could be even more of a factor for Arizona. But the game I want to talk about is Cal-Oregon, and feel free to mention anything that you want on those other games. But look, Oregon hasn't allowed a touchdown in their last three games. They just run this versatile 3-3-5 defense. I said how much I love the Andy Avalos hire in the offseason. They're just they're so versatile. They bring unique pressure and disguised pressure from all over. Um, you know, they still can't get a run game going, you know, even though they have this great offensive line. Herbert gets all day to throw, you know, but Oregon's getting really healthy this week. They're getting Hanson back at, at center. They're getting both, I believe, Schooler and Pittman back at receiver. Maybe Juwan Johnson, maybe not. But now they finally have their receivers. They're coming off a bye. Their defense is playing excellent. But that running game is struggling which you would think maybe plays into Cal's strength in their secondary. Is Oregon going to be able to move the ball? All these new receivers, is there some timing adjustments? I look back at this series. Oregon, by the way, is dominated. They've won 9 of 10. They scored 40-plus in 9 of the 10 games. They won 42-24 last year against Cal's defense. I can't figure it out. They just can't – just too fast for Cal. 
So I kind of like under 46 because I, I don't see Cal scoring much, and Cal's secondary is excellent. But these you know past results scare me. What do you see in Oregon Cal? If you're a trends player, which we're not, but if you are, uh, the under has gone. Uh, there's been an under in six of Oregon's last seven games. Same for Cal. An under in six of Cal's last seven games in this series against each other. The under has gone eight of the last nine. And now you consider, you know, what the defense have been able to do. Oregon, sixth in the nation in havoc, 13th in the nation in havoc allowed. The defensive line, the defensive front seven, and the offensive line are getting it done on both sides of the ball. That's what's made Oregon so good. The number is inflated a little bit. There's no way in the world I would be fading Oregon in this spot. I think their defense could, uh, you know, really shut down Cal here. Uh, we haven't had a Cal game where they've had like five turnovers, uh, and we know that they're completely capable of doing that. So we may see that uh, pop up here. I think Oregon is the only way to play. I agree with you. I like the under in this game. All right, so let's move on to the SEC. Uh, I will mention I have some ugly dogs in in Troy and Tennessee just because they're over 24. But there's the only game that really matters Saturday in the SEC is Auburn, Florida. We both took Florida plus three. It's we've been talking about Auburn all year. We've given their respect. We were disrespecting mm-hmm. them early. Bo Nick season in full effect. You know, but they've had the toughest schedule in, in the nation. They might have one of the toughest schedules remaining, and they've gotten W's and looked impressive in doing so. But they've been pretty lucky, especially with turnover luck. They've been extremely lucky. Florida is getting all of their defenders back this week. You know, Henderson's and they're going to be fully healthy on defense. This is a huge test for Bo Nix, who I still don't trust at this point. I don't care what he did against Mississippi State. Bo Nix season in full effect. Uh, I'm taking the number here. This is just a complete overreaction to what Auburn has done. You know, they're un- undefeated against the spread. What was this last week? Auburn plus three in the look headline like yeah. a week ago? Yeah, it's moved six, yeah, six points. And then it's it's moved moved six, six points. points because they beat Miss Stay, who just looks like they're not a good team. So then before the year, this was probably Florida minus six. I, I, I don't know what the game of the line was. So the game of the year line was. So I'll trust Dan Mullen here. I'll trust Dan. I'll trust Grantham, Todd Grantham, with all of his defenders back. They're going to come after Knicks, force him into mistakes. The turnover luck is going to switch. The regression is coming in that department. Uh, the offensive line for Florida does scare me. You know, they haven't been able to get a push. They have four new starters. Haven't been able to run the ball at all in first halves. Again, they couldn't even run it against Towson. Uh, which is which is concerning against Big Cat Bryant and company uh, on that all, Auburn defensive line. But this number is outrageous. Florida should be a favorite. Yep. Uh, Auburn, you know, they're really good and been really impressive. It doesn't mean they should be a three-point favorite here. You agree? Yeah, absolutely. I agree. It's one of the first plays I put in. Uh, our Havoc piece centered around this. Florida was a play uh, for me at three. Uh, and let's just say I probably should have put in more than one unit because this is a play that I like so much. Made this game closer to a pick. Uh, and Auburn's 5-0 and straight up, uh, you know, and against the spread. Knicks had over 300 yards passing against Mississippi State. And man, Moorhead needs a defensive coordinator. The one thing that really made it for me is when I was going through, and I understand Florida's rush game has been a bit of a problem. And I understand Trask, you know, only had two incompletions against a team like Towson. But Florida is third overall in Havoc and Auburn is 88th in Havoc allowed. And that really made me go back and think about how much Oregon was in Auburn's backfield all the time. Knicks was under pressure all the time. As far as turnover luck goes, as far as fumble luck goes, Auburn's had 12 fumbles so far this season. That's one of the highest in the nation. They've fallen on seven of them. Seven of them they've recovered. They've had they've done very well in the turnover luck role. Uh, so I think they haven't seen a defense like this. And you say, well, they play Texas A&M and they play. No, Florida's defensive line is top five in sack rate. Texas A&M's is 91st. 
Mississippi State's is 89th. Oregon is at least 21st, and they gave Bo Nix the time of his life. You know, had a couple picks, uh, limited him in that game. And I'm not bagging on Bo Nix, but at, at some point, you're going to have a true freshman game, and this is by far the best front seven he's faced. Auburn's defense is good, too, but, I mean, this is a whole new ball game for the Auburn offense. You know, this is going to be a really tough environment. I mean, that that Oregon game was not a road game. That was in Arlington. That was, uh, that was a, a place that was really favorable for Auburn. I want to loop back real quick on the Georgia-Tennessee thing. I know that you're on Tennessee. But I have to think that Kirby has motivation with his defense going uh, going up against Jim Chaney, his old offensive coordinator that was just terrible in the red zone last year. I think he's got motivation against Pruitt. Uh, he doesn't like Pruitt. What they yeah. had out. And, you know, Pruitt's trying to get uh, all the laws rewritten in the state of Tennessee so that he can get his program better. So there's there's plenty going on there. That, that's why I'm avoiding Tennessee. Uh, I, I do see it. And the number is too high. I made it 19. But at the same time, if Kirby has a chance to rub it in and put his foot down on the pedal or on on you know Jim Chaney's neck, he's going to do it. Yeah, my thinking there is is the number. I also like the under. Tennessee's getting healthier at corner, but Georgia, I think now that's the wild card there. But Georgia, after beating Notre Dame, now a bye. I think they're going to go into sleep mode. Their last time they played was September twenty first. Their October is at Tennessee and then home games against South Carolina and Kentucky. That's their October. Yeah. They don't have to wake up until November 2nd when they you know, play Florida in the largest cocktail party. So I think they're going to kind of go in sleep mode here. Tennessee, you don't even know who's playing quarterback. Fruit might have some some wrinkles and different quarterbacks, things that Georgia might not be prepared for. If Kirby really I, wants to run this up, and that's the scary thing. But this is Tennessee's best I, effort game of the year. I do like the under angle on this, and I think where, the tennis, where Tennessee gets the cover and where the under comes in is the fact that Georgia is best in the SEC in explosive run plays. They're highly, they're one of the best, most they have the best success rate, almost not just the SEC, but in the nation in rushing down, uh, in rushing the ball. And then 12% of those have graded out as explosive plays, and they could just sit back and rely on that. That's best in the SEC. That's going to be hard for Tennessee to, to take care of. Either Tennessee has shown the ability to stop uh, you know, some long chunk plays on the ground, uh, Georgia can lean back and, and wait on that and just have a cover in this game and not something that's, you know, completely run up. And, and, and they may say from, you know, for later in the year and not show anything here. I think this is Tennessee's best effort off a of bye. You're going to get some wrinkles here. That's why I'm playing them. Before we go three and out and get out of here, we do have to mention the Sun Belt, so we cover every conference. Don't let the latest come between you and the belt. Uh, and our boys from Liberty. Liberty, Liberty, Liberty. I'm fading them. So I, I got plus six with New mm-hmm. Mexico State, which I thought was a joke. New Mexico State somehow got a cover for me uh, against New Mexico, thanks to knees uh, at the end. So I'm, I think this is the game they win. Um, I, I just came closer to a pick, so I'm taking six. It's gross. Yeah, Liberty should not be favored by that much on the road. Uh, plus, they've this is the third time these teams have played each other in the last calendar year. They will play again later this year. Last year, uh, you know, home team won. So uh, I don't think Liberty should be favored here whatsoever. Uh, New Mexico State, I love this. I'm actually, as we are cutting this podcast, I'm betting it right now, and it's going to be in all my dog parlays. Love it. Um, all right, let's before we get out of here, let's go three and out. There's no FCS or no. Let's make it a quick three and out. We said that we'll have a write-up on the San Jose State game. Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's cover this UCF-Cincy game quickly. I disagree with you. I played Cincy plus four. I also played the under, 60 and a half. I think it might rise. I might play it some more. It's scary. UCF has scored like 30 plus points for a million straight games. It's some record. And they last year they were number one in adjusted pace. They're going to go fast, fast, fast. They're explosive. Cincinnati's defense 
is legit, though. Last year, they play really aggressive, so they are vulnerable to explosive passes. I think they're going to be able to run on UCF. Their running backs are healthy now. They're going to run. They're going to grind the clock. They don't have a kicker, by the way, but they have one of the best punters in the country. That will help with the under. Um, I think their defense shows up. Another reason why I like the under is since he might struggle in the red zone, they struggle with some penalties. Their offensive line hasn't been great. But I think they're going to run it, grind the clock. Their defense shows up. I'm taking the four here in a game I make one and a half. The only team that UCF has played was at Pitt, and they lost. But you like UCF here. I do like UCF here, and even though I make it three and a half, and the market tells me that I'm completely on the wrong side. The way that I read you know, the market and I know how to try to get the best number, I didn't get the best number in this instance because I didn't think that I would need it, and that's how much disrespect that I had for Cincinnati. This was a spot that I played last year, didn't have any issues with it whatsoever. Cincinnati was blown out and held scoreless against Ohio State, and I'm not saying Ohio State is like UCF, but from a Havoc perspective, you know, Ohio State and UCF are top 10 in plays of you know 20 yards or more from scrimmage, and Ohio State just blew Cincy out of the water and didn't even let him score. I'm just saying that, you know, the Knights are, are fifth in passing and they're eighth in rushing as far as, uh, you know, plays from scrimmage that go over 20 yards. They're fantastic. So, Havoc rate's going to be an issue for the Cincy offensive line. Cincy's offensive line is 114th in sack rate. Uh, you know, Ritter just drops off the map when he gets pressure. I like UCF from a red zone perspective. Daryl Mack is, uh, is, back in the, uh, is back in play for UCF. He can do the red zone package. This is not the sharp side whatsoever, so it depends on what kind of player you are. I just have blind faith and belief that if UCF gets a 10-point lead, Cincinnati can't come back from it. Yeah, I mean, the one thing on your side is that explosive passing game, which Cincy will be vulnerable to, and Desmond Ritter has not played well against any teams with a pulse. Just terrible. And their defense hasn't showed up against the lead offenses. So that's what you have working in your favor. But I'll be on the home dog and the under here. All right, let's move on to second down. One word answer here, favorite overdog. The overdog is a favorite. We had someone call in on our voicemail. By the way, leave voicemails all weekend. Cry, bitch, moan, yell, scream. 575-655-0664. We had someone say that you guys should bet more overdogs. I think they thought the opposite of an underdog is an overdog. So now it's a segment. It's called the overdog parlay. My favorite overdog or favorite of the week, Ohio. We've been talking about this spot all off season, so mm-hmm. roll with it. How about you? Favorite, favorite? Uh, I'm going to go with Oregon, just fading Cal here. And uh, Oregon's been fantastic on both sides of the ball at uh, taking care of the ball or, or causing havoc. All right. And then before we get out of here on third down, let's finish with our underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the money line parlay. Uh, I am going back to Maction, and I've gone there far too often this year. Worked out last week with Toledo. I'm fading Toledo this week and gone with a short dog in Western Michigan. I think they're the better team, more experienced team. I trust their defense to just get a few more stops. I actually like this over. I can't see it not just not getting into the 40s. The Toledo defense is just abysmal. Uh, you can just run all day on them. Western Michigan can also throw on them. Uh, Toledo will get theirs, but I like Western Michigan to make a statement on the road uh, in the glass bowl. How about you? I want you and I to hit this. So I, I could have gone UConn and I could have gone Rutgers. And I'm saying that Oof. with a straight face. I am not like starting I, for Rutgers. Ugh. I know. But UConn, I think, can beat South Florida flat out. I, I mean, that 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 play is about to come through here. But no, I'm going to go with Florida. I, I 100% believe the number should be a pick. I think Florida is an extremely live dog at home here in the Swamp. All right, there you have it. Florida and Western Michigan. We'll write it up on Saturday. We'll have some more info on it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for joining me, Colin. Don't forget about the voicemails. Rate, review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. 
Thanks for listening. We'll catch you all Saturday morning, 1030 a.m. Eastern on the live show. Good luck this weekend. Cheers. Peace out.